0: It's my privilege to bring you God's word today. My name is uh, Jim. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. Uh, Today's word comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. This is a familiar passage about children and parents. Uh, This is the word of God Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amen. Well, to all the dads out there, happy Father's Day once again. I know that Father's Day isn't as important as Mother's Day, and we know this because they had really nice snacks. We have okay snacks. I'm just kidding. Whoever brought it, thank you so much. We're not putting it down anyway. Um, It's still an important day as we celebrate dads, and um, I just... I am so thankful for my dad. My dad turned 89 this past Cinco de Mayo. Um, He's still in good health and yet he's struggling with dementia Uh, and he asks the same question every five minutes. In the beginning it was kind of hard for us to hear him ask that, Uh, but now we kind of realize that's just the way it is and so we laugh but we also just kind of answer his question. My father wasn't the most ideal father He worked hard most of his life. In fact, for many years, he worked 16-hour days, assisting my mom with a burger shop as well as working at Kaiser as a respiratory therapist. He came to the States in 71, and he worked odd-end jobs to try to feed his family. And to this day, I can't say that I really know my dad very well. He was a man of few words. Uh, He didn't offer me fatherly advice. We didn't go on father-son trips. And I love my dad and I wish I had the maturity many years ago to get to know him a little better before the onset of dementia. Someone once said that every man is trying to live up to his father's expectations or to make up for his father's mistakes. And as I thought about that, I realized a lot of my fathering for my kids comes from the things that I wish my dad did for me. We all have some father wounds, we all have father joys, Some of our fathers are with us. Some have gone to the Lord before us. And yet, as a father myself, I want to say to you that the only perfect father I know is our Heavenly Father. The rest of us are but a shadow of this good and gracious father. And being a father and parenting in general, the work is being done by imperfect people making a ton of mistakes, trying to love and be loved and we take a lifetime of learning and trying to figure this thing out. It doesn't matter how many books I've read, it doesn't matter how many inspirational stories I've watched, marriage and parenting exposes some of the weaknesses and fears and, and, and sins that I never knew existed before. I wanna to say to you that in, in, the, in the role of being both a husband and a father, there have been so many times I've come to God Uh, in words of repentance. So if I may, I just want to thank God for all the the men and women who serve as parents and also for the marriages and for those who are striving to do what God has called you. I want us to look at the book of Ephesians first from a bigger picture and then come back to chapter 6. The book of Ephesians starts with, in chapter 1, the words, to the saints who are in Ephesus. And are faithful in Christ. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and as he does so, he addresses all the saints. And the reason why I want to point that out is because in chapter six he addresses children. And as and as reformed uh, as a reformed church, one of the things that I love about what we do is to recognize that children are not waiting to be recognized or a part of the church. They are part of the church. And here he addresses them to learn what it means to obey and honor their parents. And then it also tells parents to not provoke, but also to instruct and discipline. And all this is in the Lord. Every family needs the grace of God for every day. Why? Because every family is riddled with relational distress. In marriage, in parent-child relationships, in with in-laws, in blended families... And even in single families, where the single single parent, the hero of of these days, trying to do the job of two and yet struggling to raise children in today's era. We know that grace is the unmerited favor of God at work in our lives. And when children and parents are called to relate to each other in the Lord, what I see is a call to be gracious to one another. Because we have all been recipients of the grace of God, we are called to those, as we read in the book of Ephesians, to be faithful in Christ. And so great grace meets us in our imperfections. It meets us at every need. And as grace fills both of the imperfections and needs with someone greater than ourselves, we always return to say thank you. And so as we look at the family, I want us to see that we need grace in marriage, grace in parenting, and grace for parents We're all still children of God. First, let's look at grace and marriage. Marriage is the foundation of every family. That God created marriage between a man and a woman as a loving foundation for this family. And in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul speaks directly to the husband and wife. Our earthly marriage is a shadow of the love that Christ has for his bride, the church. And yet the end of Ephesians 5, this this whole instruction to husband and wife, ends with a practical note that in chapter 5, verse 33, it says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's how chapter 5 ends. It is the foundation of how chapter 6 begins, to children and to parents. And yet as we look at the relationship of marriage, What we want to realize in this last verse is that both are to love each other, and yet both do not always see and experience love the same way. In a book entitled Love and Respect by Emerson Egriches, who was a pastor and also a counselor, wrote this book and spoke about how men and women experience love so differently. Men often see, hear, and experience love through respect. And that's why it doesn't tell the wife to love her husband, but instead it tells the wife to respect her husband. In the same manner, the husband is to love his wife, not just to respect her, to give her her space or to respect her thoughts, but to demonstrate love through acts of service, thoughtful words, and ultimately to be willing to be a servant just as Christ came to serve and not be served. I don't know any husband who knows how to love his wife perfectly. And I don't know any wife who knows how to lovingly respect her husband. And that's why grace is so important in marriage. As I meet with couples and have met with couples through many years, one of the questions that seemed to be in my heart is, how do we motivate a husband to continue loving his wife when she doesn't show the kind of respect he longs for? And how do we motivate a wife to respect her husband when he falls short over and over again of so many expectations? Well, I'll tell you what, it's not when we look at that spouse for the answers. It's actually when we see Jesus and through his eyes see our spouse. You see, I need to remember, and as I continued in my marriage experience with my wife, Jennifer, There are many things that I notice about her and she noticed about me in terms of our weaknesses, fears, and anxieties. And whenever she would respond in a certain way, I would think, why would you do that? And then we would argue and fight. Until later, I began to realize that this is simply who she is. And the way that Jesus loves her and responds to her is not the way that I did. And that when I think about how he loves my wife Jennifer, that I'm challenged then, as the very Jesus I love, I want to love those whom he loves. And the way to love my wife was to love her the way Jesus loves her, with a lot of patience and kindness and hopefully to see her through his eyes. It's not easy to do, but it's something that we are able to do once we remember the fact that we ourselves are recipients of this grace of God, a grace that meets us in our imperfections and weaknesses and yet still loves even when Sometimes we are so unlovable. Grace in marriage is the only way that marriage can endure. In sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, forsaking all others, and so on and so on. And in this vow, it is not a vow that we are able to stay together because we're so drawn to each other per se. It is by the grace of God that marriage can last decades or even a lifetime. Because no matter what we face... No matter what hardships or days we go through, God's grace will give us the strength to endure. And this grace-filled marriage is the most important gift and precious gift we could ever offer to our children. You know, a lot of times as parents, we're trying to give to our parents what our parents were not able to give to us. And every generation maybe is seeking to outdo the other with better education Better, uh, better things and equipment to do for whatever it is that they do, whether it's sports, school, or, or, or life. We wanna live in better neighborhoods and communities and all the different things that we pursue are good. But the best investment that I could say to you that a husband and wife can make is in each other and their faith and love for Jesus Christ. It is in this foundation from which every other gift finds its beauty. And without it, everything else is just but a fading thing that will come and go. The investment that a husband and wife makes into each other's life and their relationship to God is so important that to neglect that relationship is to actually put your family in jeopardy. You might ask, how might us neglecting our marriage put our family in jeopardy? When when kids become the priority in the home. It is a huge mistake. Children are a gift from God and the result of love and commitment between a husband and wife. And yet the mistake is focusing on our time and attention on our children first while neglecting our spouse. There are many families who have done this throughout the years, and you read of stories of couples who have raised their kids, and it was all about their kids, and by the time they leave for college, the the rude awakening is, I don't know that person. I don't know that person called my husband or my wife. What happens is in this rude awakening of the empty nest experience is that couples drift and some even divorce. It's because it was all about the kids. And if you ask any child, whether it's during their childhood years or later in their adult years, what is the most important thing that you wish your parents gave to you? It is that love. It is that safety and security that is found as the husband and wife truly do seek a path to love each other, not perfectly, but they know that they are making that investment. With all the best of intentions, we want to give our children the very best. But I wanna to say to you today that the most important gift that we give to them is our relationship with each other and with God. To do otherwise is, the, is similar to the illustration that if you're in an airplane and the air mass drop, it is to put it on your kids first. It is important that you put it on yourself first so that you are healthy and able to give to your children what they really need and sometimes out of the urgency of the or the fear of the what if our attention is drawn to our children understandably and many of us have done this jen and i have done this and yet we realize that this becomes unhealthy. It feels like we're parenting on sand because as we try to do the best things, we know that our heart might be filled with anger, unforgiveness, maybe even bitterness and resentment. And all the while, we want our kids to know about Jesus Christ and to be good and faithful children of God as as well as students and athletes and, and musicians or whatever. But we know that if our marriage is not strong then it's like being built on sand. It's kind of like a preacher who prepares a message and yet spends very little time with God. If there's ever a question as to who initiates this, may I emphatically say it is the husband. In Ephesians, we understand in Ephesians 5 that it's Christ who loved us, who gave himself up for us, even before we had any idea of what he would do for us. And the role of the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And so we need grace in marriage. The second grace that we need is in, in our family is parenting. In verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When I read this, I sense the need for grace and wisdom. The grace to not provoke and the wisdom to discipline and instruct. The first exhortation of this verse is what not to do. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And here I want to just kind of include both parents because some, in some readings, some people might say that fathers, just like brothers, refers to the ladies in the family. That he is addressing the father ultimately because it does say father, and I do want to also say that the buck stops with us. However, it's spoken again as a reminder to us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, when it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And here the word discouraged is disheartened or broken in spirit, when they are no longer con- connected or wanting connection, but they're now disheartened. The tendency is common enough where parents while seeking the best for their children, might anger them or discourage them. There are many things and many ways that we could provoke our children to anger. I just wanted to share a few. One of them is presumption. To presume the child should know what you meant or what you were trying to do. You lost your temper. Well, you know I didn't mean to say that. You know you shouldn't be angry and they're just broken. It is the expectation that they just should know. And it is the ultimate uh, demand sometimes where we might even be presumptuous that you should just know that, you know what, when I say something, you just need to follow. Which leads to the second thing that often can can discourage or anger a child, which is demanding compliance without explanation. Just do what I say. And, you know, when you, when you lay down a rule or a guideline in your family, one of the words that I, hear, I heard so much during the early and mid-teenage years, that one word after I say, you need to do this, you know what the word is? Why? <laughs> if, if, again, for every time that we would lay down a direction or a teaching, one of the first words out of, the, out of our kid's mouth is, why? And the first response, if irritated, is, I don't don't need to tell you why. Just do it. And I know that you and I, and if you're parents, you've experienced this, and if you're a child, you might have heard this as well, that you understand that we don't like just something to be told. It would be helpful if we had an explanation. And that this explanation would convey a sense of concern and an understanding that they simply want to understand. Whether they agree with us or not, whether anything will change or not, An explanation could be helpful. The third thing is hypocrisy. Having a double standard. Stop fighting with your sibling. And you know what sometimes is on the tip of the the tongue of our kids? Well, you fight with mom all the time. One of the things that I found so interesting, especially in my teens, is that fairness is supreme. Grace is not found. (laughs) Because sometimes when I, when I would say to, for example, when I would say something to my daughter, let's go do something. And you know what she would say? She would say, well, dad, you don't do it. And, you know, and, and it's on my lips. I just want to say, just be quiet. <laughs> do what I say. But I immediately sense the hypocrisy. And the only response that should be is one of humility and acceptance and confession. But sometimes I don't know how to reply other than with anger. How dare you challenge me? And this is where children need to show grace to imperfect parents. The second exhortation is what not what to do. To raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. To bring them up in the discipline of the Lord, here the Greek word is referring to the whole training and education of the child. It relates to the cultivation of the mind as well as to morals. And it often includes the words of guidance, correction, and perhaps sometimes even the punishment necessary to enforce good behavior. It's a combination of not just teaching them about our rules, but teaching them what God says. Because ultimately, parenting is a command of God to parents. And that one of the things that needs to be conveyed to children is to help them understand, I'm doing something that I know I have been commanded by God to do to the best of my ability, even imperfectly. And For example, in the Han home, there were three very absolutes that you cannot do. The first one, don't lie. The second one, don't hit. That was really hard to keep. Third, do not give attitude or talk back to your parents. The first one, lying, I try to help communicate as a pastor and as a father, more as a father hopefully, that it's important for us to understand that truth-telling is not only good, it's healthy, it also reminds us that Jesus is the truth. And the only person who is, decal- who is called the father of lies is the enemy. By lying, you are not in step with Christ. And we all realize this. Hitting. We're called to love one another, not cause physical harm to one another. And one of the unfair rules that I gave to my son is I said, you cannot hit your, do- your, si- your sister because guys don't hit girls. Sometimes my daughter would hit back and he would say, what the heck? And I'd say, hey, just suck it up, man. (laughs) I knew it wasn't fair, but that was also just a Jimmy rule. But also one of the things that I wanted to convey was that this is not the way we want to live. And this is something that we want to remember. It connects to things that God has taught us. The last one, attitude and talking back to parents, I really wanted them to understand that honoring your mother and father isn't just simply doing what we say. It's honoring them through your heart as well as your actions. And and, and there were times where I had to talk to both my son and daughter, especially during their teenage rebellious years, and they're still in the midst of it. That sometimes they have a tendency to just really talk back and even yell at their mom. They wouldn't do that often as much to me, but they would do that often to their mom. And one of the things that I had to do was to step in and calmly invite them to their room and sit them down and say, listen, I get it. I get why you're angry. I understand sometimes you feel this is unfair, but you cannot speak back to mom that way because if you do, not only are you gonna have a problem with her, you're gonna have a problem with me. Do you wanna have a problem with me? That's right, they said no. You see, it's hard to anger Jimmy, but when Jimmy gets angry, oh, it's bad. Our goal is to be clear and offer grace. The grace was through warnings, hey, look, I'm warning you, you blew up. I'm going to let it go this time, but the next time there will be consequences. It's important for us to understand that the discipline of training and educating our children is the vital work of both, and yet it is an important thing that the father upholds in the family. Secondly, we are to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. The word instruction here speaks of admonition or exhortation. It is giving a clear, emphatic direction with a gentle and yet calm voice. This is where grace comes along with the instruction. This is the need for parents to have God's word as a part of their family value, as well as their family rhythm. One of the things that has been a hallmark of our family at the Han Home is that ever since they were little kids, one of the things that we decided to do is that as we dropped them off at school, we would read the verse of the day, Uh, dad or mom would give a short explanation, and then after that, we would pray. Once they started driving on their own, I said, you need to do this on your own. And when I would check in on them and say, hey, are you doing your devotions? They would say, yes. I would say, what percentage? The percentage was not high. <laughs> but if the kids are younger, reading them reading them the word of God and giving some explanation and sometimes even sharing with your children something that you have been learning are important and vital ways to help communicate to our children that the word of God and how we live is important And as we learned often, even through discipleship, that discipleship is often seen and caught rather than it is taught. In continuing this, one of the things that I was so thankful for was that uh, I was able to read through uh, and pick up some thoughts from Paul David Tripp in his book called Parenting, Gospel Principles That Radically Change Your Family. And in the first three chapters, I want to share with you what he wrote. He talks about the title is Calling. Calling. Nothing is more important in your life than being one of God's tools to form a human soul. That's captivating. And I think every parent understands that is what we're doing. We're forming a human soul. Chapter 2 was on grace. God never calls you to a task without giving you what you need to do, uh, what you need to do it. He never sends you without going with you. This chapter really impacted me, and, and there's some quotes that I want to share with you toward the end. Then there's law. Your children need God's law, but you cannot ask the law to do what only grace can accomplish. Because you and I know that the purpose of the law is to expose our sin. It exposes our sin. It exposes how many times we have broken God's law. And then grace takes over to lead us to Jesus Christ. If we only, most families and most parents have a tendency to understand, I know my calling. I know the law. I'm good at laying down the law. What we're often struggling with is to bring grace into our home. One of the things that uh, I remember about this experience was when Roy Kim, a marriage and family therapist and a friend of Christ Central, gave a parenting seminar back in 2021. He, he said this. He said, When was the last time you were the recipient of someone's tirade? In your face, flush face, bul- bulging veins. Did it foster relationship? Did it make you feel loved unconditionally? The answer is usually no, and yet we do this to our children. It only makes them fear our presence, shrink away, and think less of us when they become adults. He said, instead, speak to them as if you were a policeman asking for license and registration. Okay, I was okay with that. Then he said, or speak to them like a Verizon customer service agent. (laughs) Then, of course, I had to chuckle. I was like, really? He was talking about the need for calm, conversational, and not confrontational or dismissive type tone. And I know that as I think about this, if I were very honest, when I heard Roy say this, I was thinking, nah, that's not the way I want to talk to my kids. If he said, you know, sometimes we need to talk to them like a drill sergeant or a a good loud coach or even a taekwondo instructor, I get it. Because that's how Jimmy Hunt talks sometimes to his kids. Stand up. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Look at me. <laughs> that's my tone. If, you, if you, Jimmy Han gets angry, that's the tone you hear. I didn't know how to talk to them like a policeman. License and registration, please. How was your day? Um, Good morning. Um, may I help you? May I be of assistance to you? Uh, no, that's not coming out of my mouth. And yet as I listened to this and thought about it, the importance of grace in parenting, I realized most of us weren't ready when we got the news that we were expecting. And even if we were anticipating pregnancy because we were seeking to become parents, I'm pretty sure most of us didn't have any idea of what parenting would entail. I'm really thankful that most of our children, in fact, all of us, can't remember the first five years of our life. This is the grace of God. And if you are a parent and you're thankful that your kids can't remember the first few years of their life, can I get an amen? Only two people? (laughs) This is the grace in parenting where you and I are understanding that our times in, in the word of God and in prayer is the grace of God that helps us to parent in a direction that honors God. Not just reading the passage and forgetting about it, but living in that word of God in meditation and choosing to seek it in obedience. And in prayer, not just uttering a few words in the morning, but submitting and surrendering our heart in that time of prayer where the authority is truly God himself by his power and his will over our families. That we're not going to live captivated in the fear, but in the trust and, and and the peace that comes through prayer. Charles Spurgeon said, train up a child in the way he should go, but be sure you go that way yourself. And this is something that I hope that we remember together as we walk in the grace of God in parenting. Grace in marriage, grace in parenting, and third, the grace for parents who are also children of God. You know, God is growing us through parenting. God is sanctifying us. In fact, he is parenting us as his children. Paul Tripp writes in his book, Parenting, most Christian parents have a fairly good understanding of past grace, that's forgiveness that they receive because of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Some of them have a decent grasp of future grace, the place of eternity called heaven that's guaranteed for us in Christ. But the problem is that they have little understanding of the present grace, right here, right now, the benefits of the work of Christ in all of us living between the already salvation and the not yet of heaven. He goes on to write that it has nothing to do with the exhaustion they can't seem to shake or the anger they can't seem, they can't seem to defeat or the street-level wisdom they feel they lack or the need for the break that, they, that seems never to come. This grace reaches you in your darkest parenting moments. This grace addresses your feeling of inability. Sometimes the anger or provoking in a marriage or parenting comes Because I'm so afraid I'm unable. He says, a grace touches you when you feel you're at the end of your wisdom. Grace is yours for the taking when you're walking down the hallway and you know you've just blown it. Grace reaches you when your child seems rebellious and hard-hearted and you don't know what to do. Grace touches you in the moments of deep parental regret. It gives you the reason to get up in the morning and able to sleep at night no matter what you're facing in the moment. And it would and and he says, if you would ask me the most important thing that God has given you as a parent, I wouldn't say the wisdom principles of his word. No, I would say it's his grace. You know, when I read the part that said, as you walk down the hallway, and as and and as you're, and, and you know that you've blown it, I can't tell you, I had to pause when I was reading and I just got a little emotional because I thought about the times when I knew I blew it, when I just let my kids have it, or when I got in a really heated argument with my wife and I'm walking down that hallway, and I know as I step out of that room, I blew it. The reason why we're drawn to the gospel is because it's so counterintuitive. It's, It's so extraordinarily different than any other relationship we've had with our parents, with our bosses, maybe even in marriage. It gives us permission to be imperfect while calling us to walk with the only one who is perfect, the freedom to make mistakes, the wrong things that we said and did, and yet love remains and it never leaves. In fact, Tripp writes this particular point, and I love this. He says, rather than your inability being in the way of God's plan, it is part of his plan. He knows that parents who admit that they are inadequate and run to God make the best parents. You see, you don't need to be able, he writes. He asks you to be willing. If you're willing, he will meet you in your weakness and change you. As he changes you, he will work good things through you and into your hearts and into the lives of your children. It reminds me that I need help. Not just God's help, but the church's help. I'm so thankful for our children's ministry the wonderful VBS we had this week. And thankful for all the parents, the men and women, the, the college, the young adults, as well as the, the uh, students who were able to volunteer. Some of the videos I saw and some of the snacks they ate, and uh, man, that was amazing. I was able to be here and see the, some of the setup and the events and the meals that they shared. We're so thankful. And as parents, we understand that we are the primary teachers and the church comes alongside us to be the supplementary teachers. We're so thankful that we have the church. And yet we need to remember that we are the irreplaceable tool in the hands of a powerful God to teach and to raise our children in the gospel of Christ. Some grace principles to end for parenting. One of them I wanna share with you is that God's grace grows and changes you as a parent and what Is spoken of here is that we are parents in the middle of our own sanctification. You and I are still growing in Jesus Christ. And as we remember the gospel and as God is at work in us, thank God that ultimately it's not just what you and I do, it's how God is at work in our lives and in the lives of our children. The second principle is that God's grace liberates us from the prison of regret. A lot of parents live paralyzed in that whole catalog of what-ifs and if-only. If left to ourselves and the what-ifs and the if-onlys would destroy us. It is living in that fear of incomplete, doing something wrong, not knowing if our kids will be able to grow through it. And yet as we come to God daily and learn from him, I hope that you understand that God knows that we are imperfect. The job is greater than us. And that's why we need his grace every day. I want to leave you with this quote from the book. Tripp writes, God's grace welcomes you to learn from your past, to confess your faults, receive forgiveness, lay down your burdens of guilt and shame, and with new hope and courage to give yourself the joy, with joy, to what God is calling you as a parent right here, right now, in this present grace us pray. Our Heavenly Father, on this Father's Day, we want to thank you for parenting us and shepherding us and leading us. We know that we are undeserving, and yet you meet us with your grace. For every family, whether as children of parents or parents of children I pray that you would remind us the importance of your grace. May this bring you glory and honor, and may this be a reminder to all of us to be gracious to one another. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.